0: welcome
1: to nobody told me i'm laura owens and i'm jan black if you or someone you care about has had cancer you'll find this episode of special interest and if you've
2: ever had a pet with cancer you'll also want to pay sp- special attention. Yeah, because joining us is veterinarian oncologist, Dr. Renee Alsaraf, who's treated dogs with cancer for more than two decades. A few years ago, she herself was diagnosed with cancer. And in a new book, she writes about how her four-legged patients helped her cope with the diagnosis and treatment thanks to their positivity and unconditional love. The book is called Sit, Stay, Heal what dogs can teach us about living well. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me.
2: Tell us why you decided to write this book.
3: I have always wanted to write a book, just like so many people would come up to me and say that they had always wanted to be a veterinarian. But as a veterinarian, for me and for many of us, it's more than a job. It's more than even a profession. It's how I identify myself. And all of my time is spent doing veterinary medicine. I, I never could even imagine doing something else or having room for something else. When I was diagnosed, I took to emailing a bunch of friends and family members to let them know how I was faring because at the time I didn't have any social media. And it just drained me to have the stories you know about my chemotherapy or surgery told over and over. Many people would write back kind words, words of support, which became a lifeline for me. But a lot of other people also wrote, have you ever thought about writing a book? You really should write a book. I blew them all off, finished my therapy. I might bump into them at the Whole Foods. They said, hey, have you started your book? I still blew them all off. And my husband and I, a couple months after, went to a resort in Rhode Island And at our hotel room door, they brought the newspaper. So, of course, I only read the comics and the horoscope. And I kid you not, my horoscope said, you should begin writing your book today. And that is uh, how it all happened. I started writing two days later. Wow.
1: And it's it's crazy too the similarities between what happened to you and what has happened to your many patients over the years. I even know you said that you had four of your own boxers had cancer. And then you were able not were able to, you had the um the misfortune of having cancer with uh nudie, with your dog mm-hmm. nudie. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was like when your profession and your family life just all came together and at a time when
3: you, you didn't want them to. Yeah. Correct. Right. I would say maybe not came together, but collided. um, (laughs) Yeah. That must have
2: been (laughs) more the way it felt.
3: (laughs) Yeah. It felt like what angel did I kick at some point? It was, it was really rough. And I think even getting back to your first question, writing the book, I have this very unique perspective as a veterinary oncologist, treating our four-legged patients and and four-legged friends, and then going through it myself. I couldn't help but compare and contrast the similarities and differences. I couldn't help but use my dog patients and my own dog as my guideline. You know, they, they definitely set the bar higher for me. And I really hoped that in writing the book, it would help so many people, either having to to go through the C word with their own dog um, or heaven forbid for themselves or caretaking someone who's struggling, um, even validating that grieving process. Um, but to get to see that we all struggle and can come through it stronger in the end from the life lessons that our dogs give us.
2: And I'm wondering how would your ability to cope with your diagnosis have been different if you hadn't worked with dogs who have cancer?
3: I think it depends on your vantage point from my medical oncologist I think she would have thought it would have been easier because I had a little bit of knowledge. So perhaps I was a little annoying to her asking questions that if I hadn't been in the profession, I wouldn't even know enough to ask. But they definitely helped me get through it. Newton, as you mentioned, was my constant companion, my boxer, and he was my nursemaid. He looked at me with such loving eyes, despite what was left of my hair plastered to my head or being in my pajamas for four days straight. And he adored me and it made me feel seen and whole and, and strengthened me for the fight that I had to, that I had to do and and muster up enough strength to battle during the the whole treatment process and the recovery.
1: It must've been difficult to, to know that The goal for you was, you know, be back and be better than ever and be in remission. Whereas for him and for your patients, I I hadn't really put it all together that, like you said, the treatment goal for dogs who have cancer is very different.
3: That is very true. You know, for when they're treating a person, it's often with the intent to cure, whether that can happen or not. More often than not, when we're treating a veterinary patient, the intent is often not to cure because a lot of times we know we can't, but the goal of treatment is to provide the best possible quality of life. That's always number one. And then to have that the longest time possible. So the longest disease-free period. There are some cancers in veterinary medicine that we can cure, thankfully, but often we cannot. But if we can give a family another holiday season or maybe a few years or a few more summers, that makes all the difference in the world. And then they cherish each of those days.
2: You observe in the book uh, on at several different points how happy dogs go right on being happy when they're first diagnosed with cancer. What Lesson did that teach you, as far as your own attitude
3: is concerned? Oh my gosh, so many lessons I think from the book. Um, for that one specifically, I think the the broader statement would be that we should celebrate our imperfections. One of the dogs in the book started out as a seventy nine year or seventy nine pound bloodhound. And with treatment and lots of treats and biscuits, the dog ended up gaining 50 pounds. She never lamented that. She never felt sorry for herself. She enjoyed every minute. And here I'm struggling to remain alive and I develop lymphedema, which basically looks like I just gained a lot of weight. And despite the fact that I am now through treatment, I am hating the fact That I went up a couple of dress sizes and that I look different and that I wish I could lose the weight, but I didn't eat my way to get there, right? It was from the therapy. I struggled so hard to stay alive, but I wasn't enjoying the days because of my silly appearance. So I think for that in particular, dogs taught me how silly that was. We should embrace the moment, that whole mindfulness, living in the moment. is is such a valuable lesson as well.
1: You write about being asked by your clients if their pets will experience side effects from the treatment. And I'm wondering if your answer changed as you started going through those same treatments yourself.
3: That is a really good question. Um, It didn't per se, but what I did notice, especially when I first went back, is how hard it was to talk to new patients and and new pet parents. Um, In one instance, especially, and I'll backtrack a little bit, especially for a particular cancer that say I had, or if it was about the chemotherapy drugs that I myself had received. I remember one time taking out the little stitches um, in a spay incision for a little Chihuahua, and thankfully the cancer was benign. And so for that dog and family, they had a very happy ending. But as they left the exam room, I looked down and I noticed that my hand was resting atop of my scar from my hysterectomy trying in a sense to self soothe and it was it was it really struck an emotional chord or a nerve with me when i was talking to them
2: our nobody told me conversation continues as we help spread the word about our sponsor Blissey. Blissey, blissy blissy spelled b l i s s y makes all kinds of products to help you get a great night's sleep I've been sleeping on a Blissy Mulberry Silk pillowcase this past week, and it's made a wonderful difference in the quality of my sleep. Me too. Seriously, because silk is what's best for your hair
0: and your skin. It reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakage. That's because it keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin, unlike cotton does. With the Blissy pillowcase, you can say goodbye to wrinkly skin in the morning and wake up with healthier and shinier hair you can be proud of. I love I love the way my skin looks and the
2: way my hair feels after sleeping on a Blissy pillowcase and I love the fact that Blissy's pillowcases regulate temperature keeping you cool at night. The entire pillow is cool to the touch. No more sweaty nights spent tossing and turning as you search for the cool side of your pillow. Blissy pillowcases are made of 100%
0: mulberry silk, which is naturally hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes. And unlike other silk pillowcases, Blissies are machine-washable and durable.
2: With the holidays just around the corner, why not give the gift of better sleep? And what better gift could you give? And Blissey products come in gift-ready packaging. Blissey is the 2021 Good Housekeeping winner for Best Bedding. So you can rest assured that you're giving a great gift. Everybody
0: loves them. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone, even kids. They have over 1 million raving fans, and you could
2: be next. Try now, risk-free, for 60 nights at Blissey.com slash nobody and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash Nobody, and use code Nobody to get an additional 30% off. Your skin
0: and hair will thank you. Sleep better with Blissey and use code Nobody to get an additional
2: 30% off at blissy.com/nobody. And Blissy has set up a great web page for our listeners. So if you're looking for a better night's sleep for yourself or someone on your gift list, check out the wonderful products and fantastic deals at blissy.com/nobody. I know you point out in the book at several points again that, that you hugged the owners of the dogs. And I, I guess that's just part of your treatment that you connect with them in that way. And I'm wondering why you feel a hug is important when we're facing difficult news. And what was it like to not be able to do
3: that during the pandemic? So for me, a hug is so many different things. It's love, it's support, it's security. And when the pet parents come to me, they are nervous, they're concerned, sometimes they don't know what to expect, or they have a whole host of ideas that may or may not be true. My goal as a veterinary oncologist is not just to sit across from them and tell them, what to do or what the options are, but to sit next to them and to teach them about the cancer and the different treatments that we can do. And then to listen, to understand their family dynamic. And I think that as a veterinarian, we honor that family dynamic, but to be able to minimize their scars as much as possible. And if I can do that with a hug, right? In the end, it's not veterinarian and and pet parent, it is two people or maybe me and a family sitting there. Um, And it's just human to give someone a hug when they're really upset. I noticed as a veterinary student that often the pet families would struggle or they're trying to hold back their tears. And that starched white lab coat of of a person that I was Following or shadowing in clinics, his arms never left his side, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, how sad is that? These people, their heart is just breaking, and it, it could be for a whole host of reasons: heart disease, hit by car, you know, some other thing. It, it certainly doesn't have to be about cancer." Um, but to be able to reach across that table or or next to them and reach out to them, I think just helps even the healing process
1: you hear so many vets who say that when they get into the field it's horrible and they they go home crying after putting animals down but then as time goes on they they kind of toughen up and i think it's wonderful that that's not what happened with you? Um, Like we mentioned off the air, we've had 13 dogs, special Mm -hmm. needs, hospice, senior dogs, and we've had lots of horses as well who have passed away. And I know for us that it hasn't gotten easier. It never does. Um, And I can't imagine doing that every day. How are you able to do that?
3: So most people think being a veterinary oncologist is a very hard job. And on some level it is, right? We're talking about cancer and, and people's four-legged loved ones, but given say even just a month's time, we have very few euthanasias. The whole goal is to have a good quality of life. And so much of it is very rewarding and nice, um, I remember going back actually to being a senior veterinary student and one of the first times I did tear up when a family uh, was sad. And after they left, the senior clinician pulled me aside and he said, don't worry, don't worry so much. You know, after a few of these and a few years, you'll toughen up. And I thought, I don't ever want to toughen up, feel sorry for my husband, but I want to feel all my feelings because if I ever stop feeling that. Then I don't think I should be a veterinarian. I do cry. Um, I probably cry every week. I cry in the clinic. I sometimes cry in front of the the pet families and and my team and uh, fellow coworkers know that I cry. Um, otherwise, I would say sitcoms help a lot. Um, baked goods help a lot. <laughs> cookies. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely cookies. <laughs> But, you
2: know, I think that I think that is is a wonderful thing, because like like Laura mentioned, when we've had to put dogs down before, it's always meant a lot to me to to see a tear in the eye of the vet who's having to do it, because you do feel like, hey, they understand what what we're going through and, and why this is this is such a hard thing.
1: Well, and I right. think the other thing, too, since you're since you're saying that is that we've had I can think of two vets who were really just clinical, I guess, and just acted like the animal wasn't even a dog. And that I think gave me some pause as to whether or not it was the right time to do uh, that
2: right. because
1: you, you wouldn't really trust that
2: person. Right, right, right. Correct. Right. W- which brings up an interesting point. You talk about quality of life. What does quality of life mean to you as far as the dogs are concerned? And and did your definition of quality of life change when you got your diagnosis?
3: Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. So what I tried to outline in one of the latter chapters of the book to help people through that whole decision process is a series of questions that we can all ask ourselves. And and it's not something where you have to, you know, be positive or check off each of them. But the biggest one is is my dog or is your dog still enjoying their life? Are they still doing the things that they normally like to do? Are they interested in what I'm doing and what the family's doing? Are they just laying in bed watching me walk around the house? Or is my boxer being, you know, his typical nosy self and following me because that's what he likes to do? Is he sleeping? most all of the day. It could be that he seems to have a good hour, but the other 23 aren't so good. Um, Is he eating like he used to? A lot of times as a veterinarian will say, oh, is your dog eating? And people will be like, oh, yes, yes. But when you actually ask him, he hasn't eaten his regular dog food in weeks. And the only thing they can get him to eat is some boiled chicken or boiled hamburger. That's not the same thing as saying that your dog is is truly eating. They're letting you know already that that they don't feel so good. Um, And I do believe that no matter what someone's ultimate decision is, that there is no wrong answer as long as the dog's quality of life is first and foremost in that decision.
1: Since... Curing cancer isn't necessarily what you're able to do with these dogs. Do you think that it's ever the wrong thing to do to just, I guess, not even try to to treat Mm -hmm. it and put the dog down when, when even they may be at that point enjoying, you know, what their favorite things, but knowing they're going to have some sort of a decline soon.
3: Right. Absolutely not. No, I don't think it's wrong because So many things go into that decision. You know, one of the things in the book, I I compared and contrasted human versus veterinary medicine. And in human medicine, we're often given one path to follow by our physician, and we do so blindly. And as a veterinary oncologist, we try to teach the family about the disease and then give them an array of different treatment options and go over side effects and prognosis. But then also give them the option for palliative care, right? Where we're not really treating to combat the cancer. We're just trying to keep the dog comfortable and happy for whatever time there is. And lots of things go into their decision, say, if they decide not to treat. It's their ability to drive back and forth to the vet in order to get chemo. Um, Finances come into play. Their, their risk tolerance for side effects, and then the other things that they may have going on in their family. So it's that whole family dynamic. There isn't a wrong answer. Um, there truly isn't.
2: This episode is sponsored by Ritual. We're glad to have you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And we want to tell you about Ritual's essential protein products. As you may know, Protein powders can be intimidating. But the fact is that we all need protein.
0: It's not just about muscles. Protein helps support bone health and so much more. And as we go through life, our protein needs change. So it's important to choose a mix for different life stages.
2: Ritual's Essential Protein is a delicious protein. Plant based protein powder with three distinct formulas designed to meet the body's changing protein needs during various life stages. There's Daily Shake 18, Daily Shake 50, and Daily Shake Pregnancy and Postpartum. Each
0: of these three thoughtful formulas contains 20 grams of pea protein per serving. Ritual's essential protein powder is a good foundation for your health that's easy to incorporate into your daily rituals. I just add water, shake, and sip, and I love the great taste. So do
2: I and we think you will too. It's a delicious handcrafted vanilla flavor from sustainably harvested Madagascar vanilla bean extract. There's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. It's soy free, gluten free and non GMO.
0: We've used Rituals products for several years and we're big fans of their multivitamin and gut health products as well. We really appreciate that with Rituals one of a kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how and why of every labeled ingredient Ritual offers a super flexible subscription service with free shipping for subscribers. Ready to shake up your protein ritual? Our nobody told me listeners get 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com NTM ritual even offers a money back guarantee. If you're not 100% in love, visit ritual.com NTM today for 10% off your first three months. Again, that's ritual.com
2: NTM for 10% sent off your first three months are there some exciting treatments that are are happening or things that are in the pipeline in terms of treating cancer for dogs and then also is there a relationship between the research that's done in cancer for humans and the the research in cancer for dogs or is there any kind of a correlation there
3: There are really good correlations for certain types of cancers between people and dogs. And it's this one health philosophy that you may have heard of, um, whereby often human medicine and veterinary medicine is so segregated before, right? And yet, I think it's what 98.6% of our genes are the same. So instead of looking for differences between us, we should actually concentrate on the similarities because we can further medicine along for both groups. Um, There have been many studies done initially on the dog as as the model, but then to go into clinical trials for people and vice versa, um, which is fantastic. I think Colorado State University probably leads that for bone cancer, primary bone tumors, osteosarcoma, specifically in people and in dogs. There are new things all the time in veterinary oncology. It's one of the things that attracts me to the field because it is such an ever-changing or new science. Um, There are more and more advances with genetics and, and tumor markers and tests to try to discover or diagnose cancer sooner or to try to find particular chemotherapy drugs that might um, be more beneficial for certain cancers.
1: The book really got me thinking about how many people there are who have terminal illnesses and don't have family and friends around them. And maybe having a dog would be really helpful, but they're terminally ill and they're worried about who would care for the dog if something happened to them. What would you say to them in terms of resources that might be available to them if something were to happen and they, they needed to have the dog rehomed? Is it worth it for them to try and explore that as an avenue because of the great benefits that there are to having a dog as a companion?
3: I do think it is worth it. It's it's not worth it if it causes them stress in that. But a lot of times um, I will actually have clients where the original pet, say dad or mom, passed away and they now are caring for the dog that was left behind and they want to do anything and everything for that pet because it brings them closer to their lost loved one. There are groups and foster groups that would be willing to take a pet if, say, that that terminally ill person didn't have any friends or family that could do so. To have that incredible companionship, right, that warmth and the love from a dog would be so comforting and healing. I think for me, the main lesson in the book is that we all can use dogs, not just as support, but as incredible guides as we go through these struggles. And to get to see the enormous power of the human-animal bond as it fits in all of our lives is, is really just amazing.
2: I know in the book, you talk about how you were upset that chemo would cause you to lose your hair. What happens with dogs and their coats when they have chemo?
3: So the majority of dogs do not lose their hair. And it's because chemotherapy targets the fastest growing cells in our bodies as people. It's our hair cells, our GI tract, you know, intestines, our t- intestinal cells and our bone marrow cells, but if you think of most dog breeds, their hair grows to a certain point and then it stops. You don't need to get your Labrador Retriever cut, right? Their hair, their fur, just grows to a certain point. So that is why the chemotherapy doesn't target their their fur. For dogs that have more hair-like qualities, like a poodle or a Bichon. Um, their hair grows and grows and grows, and that's why they have to go to the groomer. They will actually lose some fur. They certainly won't be bald. They would specifically lose it around their muzzle. It would look like their face or their muzzle was shaved. They would lose it on their tail, on that skirt region, uh, specifically for Um, poodles or doodles or bichons, they would look more like they did when they were a puppy. So instead of that tight, nice crimp to their coat, it would be more flat and wavy, almost like a perm that is growing out.
1: Oh, how interesting. You created the Michigan State Pet pet loss support group. And I'm wondering if you know of any similar groups or resources that might be available to our audience who are based all over that maybe are virtual. Cause I think that is just such a needed thing.
3: It is. And that's what I saw is that these families just didn't have anywhere to go with their grief. And especially back in the seventies and eighties, and I'm aging myself, um, it was less socially acceptable right? You couldn't imagine taking a PTO day off because you needed to mourn the loss of your dog. And yet it's so important. Um, There are more pet loss support groups, some of them just as local places, others associated with universities. I don't know. It would be certainly worth a look-see if Michigan State Universities went just to a Zoom because of COVID. I know a lot of other support groups, other people from out of state are able to join because, you know, I guess a silver, small little silver lining from COVID um, is that we have access to things that maybe we didn't at one point have access to.
2: I'm wondering what message you would have for people who are diagnosed with cancer and for people whose pets are diagnosed with cancer because those are two things you're you're very familiar with
3: i think for people you know if i can get through it you can too there isn't any one way to get through it and to expect someone to tell you how to do it i don't think is fair to the person that, that is now going to go through it, if that makes any sense. We all have our own way. There's no right way. Um, there isn't a pretty way or an ugly way. We could do it kicking or screaming or fighting or crying. Um, one of the things I noticed for me is that in the veterinary waiting room, the pet parents would often talk to each other or the dogs would go to the extent of their leash and smell their little neighbor and people would start to talk. And I noticed that my clients would often book the same appointments every week to come and see the same people. And it became this enormous support group. And yet when I was going through it for myself, nobody talked to anyone everyone looked down at their phones, looked down at their feet. They didn't make eye contact. And I thought, well, that's crazy. And so if someone sat down next to me, which I thought that was their fault if they did, I was going to ask them about what they were going through. And I learned so much, so many of things that my doctors never told me, right? And I always, before doing something, I would always pass it by my physicians to make sure that it was fine. And I'd get the, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, that can help. And I'm thinking, then why didn't you tell me? Right. But, right? but one of the lessons in the book is that, is that dogs are pack animals. They survive in the wild because they're pack animals. My life is so much better because of my dog in it. They have genetically evolved over thousands of years to be a part of our pack. Initially, it was they picked meat off the leftover bones from us right at at campsites, if you will. And then they helped us to farm and hunt. But now they help us in so many other ways. And dogs lie on each other for comfort. We buy weighted blankets. But the other day, my dog actually, actually, after I had a hard trying day, laid on me and it felt great. Um, I apologize. I think I'm I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. No, no, no no, we totally
1: understand. (laughs) Nobody gets it more than we do, (laughs) right?
3: But if we take it one step further for all of your listeners, we're so much better off as pack animals ourselves. Having that packed in the waiting room for me at the Cancer Center helped me immensely. It helped me emotionally. It helped me weather some side effects a whole lot easier than I ever, ever would have. Um, And we should take a cue from our dogs that that being in a pact is good. Yeah, yeah.
1: As you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. So we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So you obviously loved animals and knew so many benefits to having them before you were diagnosed, but I'm wondering what great quality, healing quality that you didn't know that they had until you went through cancer treatment yourself.
3: I think maybe somewhere in the deep recesses of my brain, I might've known but I really didn't see it or believe it or or adopt it, I think is, is the best word. Dogs meet us where we're at. I can have a bad day and sometimes I should reach out to a friend or a family member, but I can't even imagine doing so. Or some of us would put on a facade and not even show how bad our day was. But my dog always meets me where I need to be met. And he's never judgmental. Dogs have a whole host of emotions, happiness, sadness. They can get excited, eager, even nervous. But they never look at us with a judgmental tone. No matter my job history performance, no matter if I maybe had a slip of the tongue and said something that wasn't very nice, And I think it's human nature for us all to be a little judgy, but we're so much better off if we're not. But again, taking that one step further, I know many people, and certainly I lead the pack, have this voice inside my head. And she's not always very nice to me. In fact, she's often not very nice. And if I take a cue from our dogs, they never have that Nasty voice, putting them down, right? Um, And by only talking positively or trying to be kind to oneself, we can use our energy for so many better things. For me at the time, I used it to heal or to fight and to get better. Um, But I think as a society and just as people, we'd all be a lot better off if we used the dog as our model.
2: Very wise words. And, Doctor, how can people
3: connect with you
2: on social media and the
3: internet and learn more about the book?
2: Oh, thank you so much.
3: So, I'm on Facebook as Renee Alseraf and Instagram as Renee Alseraf um, and LinkedIn. Um, I do have a website. It is Sit, Stay, Heal, H E A L book. So, Sit, Stay, Heal book dot com. And that has my events for appearances and gives a little background about me, um, tells about the podcasts and everything.
2: Well, doctor, we thank you so much for joining us, because what you've experienced in your professional life and in your personal life is so relatable to so many of us. And we really appreciate you sharing your journey with the rest of us.
3: Thank you so much, Jan and Laura, for having me on. I really appreciate it.
2: Again, our thanks to Dr. Renee al whose book is called Sit, Stay, Heal. What dogs can teach us about living well. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.